If you don't get anything else out of the sermon today, what I hope you get is this, is, is that you leave here knowing that God is fighting for you. So I'm going to say that again, like God is fighting for me. I'm gonna ask you to say it with me. One, two, three. God is fighting for me. Now, some people may feel like, man, God is fighting me. And, and that could be true if you're, if you're Pharaoh in the story that we've been talking about in the book of Exodus. Like, it, it, like you don't wanna be that guy. So we're, we're not talking about him. And, and today, like nobody here is Pharaoh. Like God is not fighting you. God is fighting for you. And now he's fighting for you on a, on a macro level on a, uh, and on a micro level. On a macro level, God is fighting uh, for you. Like there are people in this room, like, and, and I would bet everything that I have, like God has fought battles for you that you are completely unaware of. God has gone ahead of you and taken care of some things that, 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 that you didn't even know existed. He's kept things from happening to you that you didn't even know were gonna happen to you. And one of these days, you're gonna go to heaven and you're going to, to be able to look back over the course of your life and you're gonna see what could have happened. And you're gonna realize that God was fighting for me. Some of you, you know that God has been fighting for you. You know God has, has came through for you. You've seen him do some great things. So God's fighting for you on a macro level, but he's also fighting for you on a micro level. He's fighting for your heart. And he's fighting for, for your mind. Like he wants to captivate our heart and captivate our mind and, and get us plugged into to this process of being made more and more into the image of Christ. And that brings us really back to the book of Exodus. Like we've been hanging out with Moses the last couple of weeks and Moses has been arguing with, with this man you know, that's on fire in the middle of a bush. You know, for the past two weeks, he's been arguing with, with Jesus Last week, Seth, who did a great job, uh, we saw Moses throwing down his staff. Before that, we saw him take off his, his uh, talked about all his stinky feet and all that stuff. Well, finally, Moses and Aaron, they decide that they're going to go tell Pharaoh to let the people go. But before we get there, let's set it up. Let's revisit how the Israelites got into slavery. So you remember Joseph in, in the coat of many colors back in, in the book of Genesis, like he goes to Egypt, pretty much uh, saves the world from starvation. And he's, he is the man. And he moves his entire family, um, ab about 70 people to, to Goshen, just right outside of, of Egypt. And they start, the Bible says they start multiplying. We'll do a series on that someday. But, but this is what, the, what it says in Exodus chapter one, verses eight through 11. It says, eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt. The new king was, was Pharaoh, who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. So this new king, Pharaoh, he, he's the enemy. Like, I like, or track with me for a minute. And we have a spiritual enemy named Satan, right? So Pharaoh, Satan, the enemy of God, they're in the same camp. And I want you to watch what the enemy says about the Israelites, who are the children of God. And today, we as, as the church are, are the children of God, the people of God. So the enemy is talking about the children of God, and this is what he says. To the people of Israel, now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. Like the enemy admits that there's more of them and they're stronger than us. And he says this, if they ever get on the same page, we're toast. Like I think the, the enemy, our enemy, our spiritual enemy, knows that, that very well. 
that there are a lot of Christians in the world. There are over 2 billion people in the world who claim to follow Christ. And when the people of God start living for the purpose of God and start working together, there is nothing that we can't accomplish. There's nothing that we can't do. Um, they, they, there's nothing we can't, that can stand in our way of a mission. That's why at KCC, we talk all the time about our mission, that we exist to lead people to take their next step in a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we say things over and over again, like found people, find people, and save people, serve people, and growing people change, and I can't do life alone. Because when Christians get on the same page, the enemy is scared to death. And this is what, what Pharaoh says. He said, we must make a plan to keep them from growing. Like, this, this is so good. The enemy said, we have to make a plan to keep them, the people of God, from growing. That's not a trick question. Who gets the most joy and the most benefit out of the church that doesn't grow? Satan. Because the enemy in this passage is saying, hey, we don't want the people of God to grow. Like, that's why, like, people will tell me, say, man, I think we've got enough people in our church. And I'm just like, there are too many people going to hell. I ain't got time. Like, we're going to reach people. Like, how many people are we going to reach? I don't know, but we're going to reach people until I drop dead or Jesus comes back, um, and, and maybe that'll happen on the same day and we'll all win. Like, I don't know. But he said we must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't and war breaks out, they will join our enemies and, and fight against us, and they will escape from the country. He came up with this whole hypothetical situation. But don't miss this. The enemy has a plan to keep us and to keep you from growing. And what's crazy is that he's got a plan for every one of us and it's different for every one of us because he can't tempt me with what he can tempt you with. <clears throat> Give you an example. Let's say you're coming over to my house tomorrow night. And by the way, don't, we got VBS. Um, but say you're coming over to my house tomorrow night we're gonna watch TV and you show up with a, uh, a bag of Doritos and a six pack of Coca-Cola or you're a communist and you bring Pepsi. Like, I don't know, it doesn't matter. But Doritos and Coke, and you set them on my table, and you walk out of the room, you come back in an hour, they're still gonna be there. You know why? I don't want Doritos or Coke. Like, I don't like Doritos, um, and uh, I can't drink soda because it does stupid things to my blood sugar. So that's not a problem for me. However, you bring a box of Little Debbie's, which also do stupid things with my blood sugar, and a milkshake, don't walk away, because it's going to disappear. Like, because that's a weakness of mine. Like, sweet, I love sweet things. And I got to pause and say this. Like, do not bring me a box of Little Debbie's. No one. Like, I rebuke Little Debbie in the name of Jesus. Like, do not, because I can't have them in my house, because I, I, I'll eat the whole box. But everybody struggles with something different. There's some people, I, I, love, I, I love church people. Like, they're like, man, I don't understand. I've never struggled with addiction. I've never struggled with depression. I've never struggled with anxiety. I don't know what the big deal is. And I'm like, well, do you struggle with pride? Because that's the one that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Like, anyway, so the enemy, the enemy says, hey, we gotta make a plan. And this is what I think the Egyptians knew, that, that there were more of them, they outnumbered us. So, so they said, hey, like, I... I don't think the Egyptians moved in and, and just said, hey, you're gonna be our slaves. That's not what happened. What they did, and it's fascinating, was to control a large group of people. They told this large group of people, hey, we will feed you, we will house you, we will clothe you, we will take care of you. 
All you have to do is submit your rights to us. Isn't it crazy how much we've progressed in the world today? Like they didn't come in and just say, hey, we're gonna make you slaves. They said, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna just ease you into this. And before they knew it, the whips got involved and the chains and the beatings and all that stuff happened. And this happened over a period of 400 years. The Israelites had been enslaved for 400 years. And if you're in slavery for 400 years, by the way, every Israelite at this point, every Israelite had been born into slavery. None of them knew what freedom was like. Just like every, every single one of us in this room, every single person in this room every person watching online. Like, we've been born slaves to sin. Like, that's the way the, the Apostle Paul especially would tell us that, that, that you were once slaves to sin. Many of you don't know what it's like to, to walk in freedom because you've never surrendered to Christ. So for 400 years, you don't escape 400 years of slavery with a poem and a prayer. You escape 400 years of slavery with a process. And for many of you that have been uh, bound by sin, bound by an addiction, bound by depression, bound by anxiety, you don't escape that with a poem and a prayer. You've tried. You escape that through a process of God working in your life. So this, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves, and that's what the enemy wants to do to us. And here comes Moses. Now Moses has been meeting with God. He's been talking with the man on fire in the middle of the bush. And Moses thinks, man, this is gonna be awesome. I'm gonna walk in, uh, I'm gonna tell Pharaoh to, hey, let the people go. And Pharaoh's gonna let them go and it's gonna be great because he had this experience with God and Pharaoh had never had, had a problem. Like, like Pharaoh like, thought he was God. You ever met anybody like that? Don't point, like... But Moses and Aaron, so, so they went and they met with the Israelite leaders and they're like, hey guys, God wants you to not be slaves anymore. He said he's gonna set you free. And they went, that's a great idea. So Moses goes to tell Pharaoh and, and like, I can imagine, like he's got the mic. It says, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh and they told him, and they told him, this is what the Lord God of Israel says, let my people go. So they may hold a festival in, in his honor in the wilderness. And Moses dropped the mic because he thought it was over. Like, that's good enough. What else does Pharaoh need to hear? But Pharaoh said this, is that so? Retorted Pharaoh. And that's a word we don't get retorted. Uh, you gotta be careful. If you say that, it's not politically correct. But. And who is the Lord? And why should I listen to him and let, the, and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. But Aaron and Moses persisted. Now they get a little crazy. Christians like, get a little crazy sometimes. And we say stuff that God didn't really say. Like, you ever know anybody that does that, like puts, puts words in God's mouth? This is what happened. Moses persisted. The, the God of the Hebrews has met with us they declared, so, so let us take three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God. If we don't, he will kill us with a plague or with a sword. He's saying that, and I think Aaron's going, did you get a memo that I didn't get? Like, I didn't get the whole sword and plague memo. Like, God never said that. 
Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their task? Get back to work. There are many of your people in the land and you are stopping them from their work. And Pharaoh does something real interesting. Like the Israelites, they had a quota of how many bricks they had to make every day. And this was the deal. You make the quota of bricks, you don't get a beaten. You miss your quota, you get a beaten. Like that was the deal. So what the Egyptians would do is that they would supply uh, the, the Israelites with the straw to make the bricks. So what Pharaoh does is say, hey, no longer are we gonna supply the straw, you have to get that yourself, but you still have to meet the same quota. Don't miss this. Whenever we say that we wanna break free from slavery, the enemy is going to fight twice as hard to keep you in bondage. If you've ever seen anybody uh, detox, and, and I mean really detox, it's not fun, and it's not pretty. Like They will shake, and they will sweat, and they will scream, and they will hallucinate, and it's the enemy trying to hang on. Like That's why it's so tough to break free from an addiction. The enemy is just waiting for you to put, put your guard down, and any second you do, he comes in and he hits you. Like That's why we always have to be prepared. That's why we've gotta have some people in our lives that, that help us out. That's why I don't know about you, but that's why every day I've got to start every day in the word because I got to have something to knock him out when he comes at me. So this happens, and, and Moses up to this point, he'd been all about himself. But then here, here's what happens. When, when you start meeting with God, he starts to change your heart and you start having compassion for other people. Like, like you, you can't help it. Moses gets concerned and burdened about the people, and this is what he does in verses 22 and 23. So Moses went back to the Lord and, and protested. Why have you brought all of this trouble on your people? Lord, why, why, did you ever, why did you send me ever since I came to Pharaoh and ever since I spoke to the man, he's been even more brutal to your people and you've done nothing to rescue them. Moses is kind of letting God have it. You ever felt like that? God? Ever since I said yes to you, God, things have gotten worse for me and everybody else around. You know it's happened. I surrender to God, and yeah, then you're like, you're not going to hell anymore, but you're experiencing it on earth. Like, we've all experienced that. And so does Moses. And I love it because he's just honest. He's brutal with God. He hadn't been in church long enough to know you can't say things like that to God. And God answers him, said, uh, then the Lord's told Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh when he feels the force of my strong hand. In other words, I'm gonna go Mike Tyson on him. Like, I don't know like, if you're old enough to remember Mike Tyson, but I think he's one of the greatest boxers of all time. Like he would go, like he had eight fights where he knocked his opponent out in less than a minute. And God, God said, like, he will let my people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh. And Moses was like, hey, what, what, in the bush, you said I am. Now your name is, is Yahweh? Which this is God just sharing more of who he is with Moses. The closer you get to him, the more he reveals about himself to you. God has several names in the scripture. 
And they all had a very specific meaning. God said, I'm Yahweh. And now in our language, we don't have a word for, for, for Yahweh. But what it basically means is I was, I am, and I always will be. I was, I am, and I always will be. Now let's take a step back and, and look at the situation. Why did God tell Moses I'm Yahweh? He said, Moses, I was with them before they were slaves in Egypt. I'm with them now. I'm gonna be with them when they're walking into to the land that I promised Abraham and Isaac. I'm gonna be with them when they're, when they're harvesting from vineyards that they didn't plant, when they're living in houses that they didn't build, when they're getting water from wells they didn't dig. Like, I will be with them. God's saying, hey, I'm with you in your darkest moment. I'm with you now. And I will be with you when you walk out of bondage and into freedom. That's what Yahweh means. And then he goes on to say this, I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. God, God Almighty. In other words, the things that you aren't strong enough for, God said, I can handle that. You just gotta, gotta give it to me. Now, if you're a man, you, you probably gotta admit to this, um, but you've had situations in your life where you just weren't strong enough for something. I remember not too long ago, Jennifer ordered a package off of Amazon. She said, hey, that, that, that Amazon package is out at the porch. Can you bring it in the house? And I'm like, yeah, I sure can. She says, it's pretty heavy. Do you need any help? I said, nope, I got this. So I went out there and I grabbed a hold of that box and I went to lift it and it didn't go anywhere. Like, I'm sweating. I'm kind of, she said, you sure don't need help? I'm like, no, honey, I got this. And I fought with that box till finally I said, honey, I need some help. <laughs> but we've done that. We've all come across situations in our life where we're just not strong enough to handle it. And God says, listen, I'm God Almighty. I can handle what you can't handle. And then he said, he said, I'm El Shaddai. El Shaddai means I am, I am more than enough. I am all sufficient. You don't need anything else. Nothing in this world will fill you up. Everything in this world, it'll cost you a lot. Some of you know that, but it won't fill you up. If you get 100 likes, you'll want 200. If you get 12 comments, you'll want 42. This high will, will never be good enough. You'll want another high. This relationship will never be good enough. You'll want another relationship. God said, I'm El Shaddai. I am more than enough. If you come to me, you will have all that you need. And then he just kind of goes off. And I love this. This next passage is in Exodus chapter six. And it says, this is where we get the, the Passover meal comes from. We're gonna talk about communion a lot next week. But it says, therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will free you from your oppression. I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. Do not doubt me. And Moses is like, you want me to tell them all that? Yep. Now think about this. You're an Israelite. You, you've never read the Bible. 
See, well, oftentimes we're hard on, on biblical people, but um, they haven't read their story. Like, the, in fact, the only Genesis had been orally passed down to them. They, they knew some things about God, but they, they'd been born into slavery. They didn't really know God. What they knew, because for the last 400 years, that's what they've seen, like, they knew the Egyptians' gods. They thought the Egyptian gods were, were real, probably more real than the, than the God they'd heard about because they hadn't heard from their God now in, in a long time. They, they grew up knowing ab- about God, but not really knowing him. And I think that's many of us today. Like We grew up knowing about God, but, but we don't really know him. And then God started moving. And God worked through a process. And, and if you grew up in Sunday school, you know about the, the 10 plagues. 10 is the, the number of authority in, in the scripture. God worked through a process of 10 plagues. And every plague did a couple of things. Number one um, was that it, it tore down at least one of the Egyptian gods. In some cases, two or three even of the, of the Egyptian gods. And it was, it was doing was saying they, they're not really gods. And the second thing uh, that it did was it taught the people of God who God was. And had God moved and just snapped his fingers and handled the problem and delivered them, like they would have missed out uh, on seeing the power of God through a process. Let me show you what he did. It's crazy. So God did the first plague, and it was the plague of blood. And he turned all all of the water into blood. So there's the Egyptians, there's the Israelites. The Israelites are living in the land of Goshen, uh, which is like right outside of Egypt. And the plague of blood happened everywhere. So the Israelites are, okay, that's great, but our water's blood too. That stinks. That's no good. Then there was the plague of frogs, which, which is my favorite plague, like frogs everywhere. Frogs in your bed, frogs in your toilet, like frogs everywhere. So many frogs to the point that Pharaoh comes to Moses and says, hey, we'll do whatever it takes to get rid of these frogs. And I love the response. I preached a whole sermon on this plague one time. I love his response. Moses says, okay, you just tell me when and I'll pray to God and we'll get rid of the frogs. And Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Like, why would you want to spend one more night with the frogs? But for some of you, that's where you're at. You've got an addiction. You've got a a habit. You've got a relationship that needs to be fixed. And you're like, God, I'm going to fix it. And God's like, when? You're saying tomorrow. Like, you're you're waiting. Why would you want to spend one more night there? So the plagues of frogs, like frogs everywhere. Can't get any worse than that, right? But then the gnats move in. Have you ever been outside and you're like, God, like, just kill me now because the gnats are crazy? And if you're a child of God in this situation, you're watching God move so far, you're seeing his power, and that's great, but you're not really seeing him. Because you're early in the process. Some of you are there right now, like you're seeing God move, you're seeing God do some things in in other people's lives, you're seeing God uh, maybe bring some change in people's lives, you're seeing people get, get saved, but your life hasn't really improved. You're still going through some things. And if we're not careful, we can become discouraged, which will lead to to denial. Like, I don't think he's gonna work. 
I don't think God's really doing anything in my life. But something happened after the third plague. After the third plague, all the first three plagues happened to everyone. Happened to the Israelites, that happened to the Egyptians. But plague number four, the Bible says God made a distinction between the children of Israel and the Egyptians. The Israelites didn't experience the rest of the plagues, four through 10. Up to this point, like they they had been there. But then there came the plague of of flies. And, And the Israelites are over here in Goshen and they're like, they're just chilling and relaxing. And the Egyptians, they got the fly paper up and they're swatting flies all day long. And they're like, man, God is, God is working. Like we see it, but you know what? We're, we're still not free. We're, we're, still, we're, still, we're still enslaved. They didn't know there were 10 plagues because Moses didn't tell them there were 10 plagues because Moses didn't know. He just kept going on. And it's a crazy story. Like I don't have time for the whole thing. But the next plague was a plague of live, livestock and all of the Egyptians' livestock died and all of the Israelites, they're over here in Goshen and they got their goats and they got their chicken and, and they're eating. And then you had the, the boils like where the Egyptians, the Bible says the boils broke out all over the skin or their skin. And the Israelites, like they got clear skin. And they're looking at the Egyptians and they're going, you know what? God's working. God's fighting for us. But we're still not free. We're, we're still enslaved. I don't know if this is gonna work. Moses is like, man, I'm telling you, hang on, because the man on fire in the bush told me that you're gonna be free. That's what God's telling somebody today is just hang on. You're close. You're closer than you think. Don't don't stop fighting. Don't give up. And then came the plague of hail. Hail was falling from the sky, like, and then just landing on the Egyptians, and the Israelites are sitting over there just watching. Nothing's falling on them. God's moving, but we're still not free. And then came the plague of locusts, and that was just horrible. Locusts came in and they ate everything in Egypt but they still had food over in Goshen. And they said, that's great, but we're not free. And then the plague of of darkness happened, which was a direct attack against Pharaoh. Pharaoh was said to be a descendant of the sun god, Ruah. And when darkness happened, that was basically God saying, that's not really a god, but I am. But they still weren't free. And the last plague was the plague of the, the firstborn, which we're gonna talk a lot about next week. And and even set up communion that way next week. And the reason I said all this is to show you that God started out by saying, I'm gonna set you free. I'm gonna fight for you, but I'm gonna do it through a process. And if you'll stay with me, and if you won't give up, and if you'll endure, and if you'll do your part, eventually you'll walk out of slavery into freedom. Like knowing who I am and knowing that I could have never gotten there by, by, by myself. I'm telling you, there are people here and you're going, I'm not sure this is working. I'm not sure this whole Christianity thing is, is worth it. And I'm here to tell you that we have a God that's stronger than whatever is enslaving you. You might not be where you thought you would be. You might not be where you wanna be, but, but you need to know that if you stay plugged into the power of God and you let God walk you through this process, you can walk into freedom. Because at the end of the day, the Israelites, finally, like they got to the point where Pharaoh said, you know what, get out of my country. Even take, the, here, take this gold with you. 
but they had to endure the process. And they finally got to a point where they said, God, you know what? You're too good to not believe. And we've seen you do all of these miracles in our past, God. We, we watched the plagues. We've watched you deliver us. We've watched you save us. God, you're, you're too good to not believe. That's where I'm at in my life. Like I would have never thought in a million years that I would be where I'm at today. Like I'm happier than I've ever been. I'm healthier than I've ever been. I feel better than I've ever felt. God's given me more opportunities than, than I ever thought I could imagine. If you'd have told me that 25 years ago, I'd have said, there's no way. If you told me that eight years ago, I would have said, there's no way. If you told me that three years ago, I would have said, there, there is no way, you're, you're, you're crazy. But God is bringing me through a process where he's shaping me and he's transforming me and he's continuing to, to change my heart. He's continuing to change my mind. And he's not finished with me yet. He, he's not done working on me. Like he's still forming me into somebody, hopefully, that's becoming more and more like him. And that's what he wants to do for you. So, so how do you step into that process? I'm gonna ask you to stand. It's really easy. What's the next thing that you know God wants to, to do in your life? What's the next thing God's asking you to do? That's your next step. That, that's how you get into the process. Maybe it's to confess a sin to somebody. Maybe it's to, to, to restore a relationship. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's baptism. But what is the next thing that you know that God wants you to do? Father God, today, thank you so much for, for your word, for the opportunity to to share it, for the opportunity to be a part of that, that process for the last 37 years of my life. God, I pray I continue to, continue to keep taking next steps. If I pray today, you would reveal very clearly to everyone in this room, everyone watching online, what that next step is you have for them. Because God, I've seen it so many times. You are too good to not believe. And we have seen that in especially in Jesus. It's in his name that I pray.